0: Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moizel, and these are the Women Who Rule. Hello, and welcome back to She Dynasty. Today, we'll be talking to Nancy Daniels, the Chief Brand Officer of Discovery and Factual. Nancy currently oversees all the creative and brand strategy, development, production, multi-platform communications, marketing, and the day-to-day operations for the Discovery Channel, Science Channel, and Animal Planet in the U.S. So Nancy is going to be here in a few minutes, but before we talk to Nancy, I'm actually sitting with Sarah Sabin. Sarah is an intern that is brand new at the Wu. I think she's worked for two days. On her second day, I asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast just because she did such an incredible job, and She is very soon graduating, so if I don't grab her, I think somebody else will very, very quickly. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I know that um, when I suggested you being on the podcast, you kind of looked at me like a deer in headlights and was like, really? Really? Is this your first podcast?
1: (laughs) Yes, I was a little bit surprised but flattered.
0: Awesome. Well, I think you're going to be great. Sarah actually helped write today's interview, which was really awesome. And she actually knows uh, Nancy. She's met her before. I actually met Nancy and was introduced by Sarah's father. And so there is kind of a little bit of a connection here. So it's actually really perfect that you're here today.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. She's awesome. So what are you hoping to
0: learn from Nancy today?
1: You know, as someone who's looking to go into the same industry as her, I'm really excited to hear about her career path and how she got to where she is. And, you know, I really admire her hard work and determination. She kind of does it all. So I'm really excited to hear from her.
0: Awesome. Well, she'll be here really soon and we'll learn all about it. Hi, Nancy. Hi. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. So, we have a room full of other incredible women here. My daughter, who is 16 years old, actually, she's not quite starting out her career yet, but she's already very focused on where she's going to go. So I'm happy she can be here and learn from you. We have Sarah, who I know you have met before, who's um, about to graduate from college. My assistant, Callie, who is incredible. And we also have Lori, who is also from Discovery. So it's kind of a full house and lots to learn from you today. So we're super excited. And I'm super excited for these young women to be inspired by you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right. So I did an intro of you. I kind of read, you know, your bio and everything that you You've done and wow you oversee a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of departments and it's just seems so overwhelming tell so, me about it I know so <laughs> we're gonna get into that I can't wait to hear about how you kind of handle and juggle all that and you know your career and path have been so interesting so we're gonna get into that but before we do that I want to start with you know just your background you grew up in the on the East Coast in Connecticut and you went to college in New York. Where did you go to college? I went to Ithaca College in upstate New York. Nice, and your major? It was telecommunications management,
2: which really was blending together um, like a TVR major, television, radio, they don't even think they have that anymore, Uh with business. um, Because I thought that seemed important,
0: and actually it really has been very important in what I ended up doing. Yeah, so you were kind of right on target with where you've kind of ended up, it seems like. Yeah, unintentionally so, but yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You also visited L.A. when you were very young. And tell us about um, what brought you here and what sparked your curiosity to come to Los Angeles.
2: So I had a uh, family in the business who lived out here in L.A. And when I was 15 years old, I got invited to come out and spend a spring break out here, which sounded totally exotic to me. You know, before I came to L.A., I didn't even know that Beverly Hills, Hollywood, Santa Monica was all LA. I didn't even know that until I landed here. I was like, oh wait, it's all here? Oh, Um, you thought they were like all individual I didn't know. I mean, I grew up in, you know, it was all like mysterious, wonderful places with palm trees. Right. Interesting. (laughs) Um, So I I came out here to visit and hang out with them for the week. And uh, my uncle had been in the TV business for a long time. And um, my cousins were both in different aspects of the TV business. So, you know, when you bring somebody out to L.A., when they're 15, you take them to go see a show taping or you take them right. behind the scenes. And Such a Hollywood thing to do. I loved it. What did you see?
0: You
2: uh, it was a late night talk show. Actually, you know what? I think it might have been Joan Rivers' late night talk show. Nice. I think we went behind the scenes on that. But more than anything, it just looked fun. Right. And exciting. And I never was interested in being in front of the camera. I wanted to know how it all worked. Right. And it was the first time I thought, wow,
0: you can do this for a living. Like, right. this could be a career. It seems like that was kind of a big spark for you in that moment.
2: Absolutely. I mean, my father was, he's retired now, but he was an electrical engineer. That just seemed um, really boring. Right. <laughs> so to actually see something where it, it felt... You know, really fun. And by the way, I watched probably way too much television as a kid. And, you know, everybody said that's too much. You shouldn't watch so much TV. And I'm thinking, well, now actually it kind of paid off.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All those hours Absolutely. spent in front of the
2: television.
0: Awesome. So you went back to New York, obviously, um, and eventually went to college. Where, what was your first job out of college? Very first job.
2: Um, I got in a car, drove out
0: here. Oh, immediately. You were like, couldn't wait to get back.
2: The first job I was able to get was a production secretary on a show for VH1. So, Did you have
0: connections or did you just apply? So
2: my my cousin, who had been a researcher on Rescue 911 for Uh years, Rescue 911 had just ended. When I got here, she called a few friends to say, do you know any PA jobs? Do you know anything that's opening up? My cousin just moved here and I got this interview to go in and be this production secretary. So it was... My very first job it was four hundred dollars a week and I had to answer phones and fix the
0: copy machine and make the coffee in the morning and, you know, do whatever they wanted me to do. Right. And so it's so important to have those connections when you're starting out in your career. You know, for so many people who are listening who are just starting out, you know, I think people are shy to like pick up the phone or, you know, text, I guess, and ask people, who do you know? Who can you help me open doors with or for and so i think I that's a really think good lesson i also think
2: it's important to remember that being on the other side of it you're always looking for those young people Absolutely. right you need to, those people to come in and do those jobs and find
0: their spark and you need them as much as they need you 100% and that's when you really get a important. recommendation from somebody you trust yes. it's so meaningful
2: and when i get somebody like kind of young and new in my office that's smart and works really hard it really excites me because i think wow you're going to go places
0: Awesome. So you came to LA and you got your first job. Um you also did some freelance production, is that correct? Well, that was a freelance job Oh, that from was the a beginning. So
2: every job I did was just for the length of the show. So it could have been 3 weeks, 3 months. I think the longest job I had might have been like 9 months. And you would just go from show to show to show. I actually think that was such a gift to be able to do that because You got to kind of
0: move up and change every time. Yeah, it was never the same thing twice. You had to evolve and grow. And you could move quickly. Yeah. Uh,
2: Also, you never felt stuck somewhere. Right. You kind of had to move on. It didn't feel like, oh, my God, I'm losing my job. It's like everybody's losing their job. Everybody's looking for a job.
0: Was there stress in between those gigs to get the next thing, or you just kind of had faith because you were good that... I got lucky and
2: always was able to find something. There was one time, though... And it was right around nine eleven um, when everything went kind of quiet. Yeah. And nobody really knew what the shows were going to be picked up, what the world would right. mean. Um, and there was a few months there where I, w- I was wondering, like, what was going to be next. I was doing little
0: gigs here and there, but there was nothing really big on the horizon. Understood. Nine eleven definitely put a damper on things. It was the year I got married. I got married a couple months later. I almost canceled my wedding because of it. But yeah, understood. All right, so we're going to move into some of your snags, or one of your snags. So you had um, what you called an unconventional childhood. You were forced to grow up faster than the average 10-year-old. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and why you said that.
2: Well, I was um, the youngest of three girls. Okay. And when I was 10, my parents got divorced and my mom left. So we were left with my dad, who did the best he could, and I had two teenage sisters who— or completely self-absorbed, as you are when mm-hmm. you're a teenage girl. Right, right. And um, and I kind of had to figure stuff out on my own. Like I had to figure out my own meals and do my own laundry. and
0: So you had to grow up really fast.
2: I did. And I, I do remember thinking at the time, kids' parents get divorced all the time, right? right? I saw it around me all the time. I was like, I can handle this. This is fine. I got this. But then when I got older – and you
0: have kids of your own and you look at that and you think, wow, that was kind of crazy. Totally. I had the same experience. My my parents divorced and I thought, wow, I got this. Yeah. And I was, I think, 16 when they divorced. But it hit me like in my 20s. Like it was like this weird like slap in the face that came later that was like, wow, what I went through was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like that having to assume the role of your own kind of caretaker as you were a child maybe kind of set the stage for your future of kind of being a leader, being a boss, stepping up and just arising to any challenge?
2: I would like to think so. Uh, The moment of kind of realizing your own destiny is in your own hands and you've got to make it
0: happen uh, definitely has been a driving force for me wherever I've gone. Awesome. You also mentioned another snag is that there was a moment where you were actually demoted at a job. I want to hear about that. I had actually had a, a
2: bigger purview in my job. What job was it? There were a couple of different ones, but I'll say this one was actually when I was at Discovery and I was overseeing um, all of production and development. And they ended up kind of having my role and kind of splitting my job and giving half of it to somebody else. It's hard. It was really hard. And I I remember calling my husband and telling him about it. And he goes, well, it sounds like you can do less work and you're getting the same amount of money. Like, what are you, are you, why are you upset? And I was like, oh, I, know, I, I know why you're upset because <laughs> you're just not
0: the kind of person that cares about doing less work. No, I, I, yeah, I was, it, it was hard,
2: you know, yeah. it was a bruise to the ego. And I think what I really tried to do when I could, you know, shake off the bruising was, Okay. Just do the, just job, do the job. Yeah, Do okay. the job that you've been given. Do the job in front of you. Be yourself, like be a good person. Yeah. And um, if this doesn't work out, you'll move on to the next thing. I think those years of freelance actually taught me that too. Oh,
0: Nothing absolutely. is permanent.
2: Yeah. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. So just keep going. And if you do the job And don't worry about all the other stuff. If you do a good job, that's what speaks for you in the long run anyway. Totally. And that's what I did. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because you are on a very, very different or have been on a very different path than me. I'm an entrepreneur. I started a company right out of college. And, you know, I'm always just so fascinated by um, women who navigate like a corporate environment. To me, the challenges seem so much more intense because at a certain point, you're, you know, sometimes you're just mandated kinda what you have to do and how you have to be and when you believe that it should be another way. And for me, you know, as as an owner of my own agency, I get to call the shots. And I almost feel like from my perspective, it's harder to do what you're doing because you don't always understand why decisions are made. And you're not always told why every decision is made. And you just have to kind of roll with it. If something happens, um, get up, roll up your sleeves, and just make it happen again. It's funny. I feel the
2: opposite in that what you do as an entrepreneur, I think, is super risky. <laughs> it's funny. It's very risky. Yeah. and it, I, I mean, it's almost like I don't think I could do that, right? You, you take it all on yourself. You're making it happen on your own. And, you know, I'm in a, a big corporate Honestly, cushy environment right. um, provided for me, right. where I'm pretty well taken care of. When and what by that I mean benefits and totally, health insurance totally. and all that kind of stuff. So I'm always kind of blown away by people who are truly entrepreneurial. Right. And what I do, I love my job, and I actually think I ended up in the right place right. for me.
0: But the corporate navigating of politics and stuff can be pretty. It's hard. Emotionally, it's hard. The yeah. poli- it's it's all about the politics and just, you know, everyone's got agendas, the company's got agendas, people have agendas, kind of understanding how you move. So I think there's a craft and a skill to being able to weather that and deal with it. But you want it to be about the work, of course, right? Not everybody. about the navigating the politics. You want your worth
2: to be measured by what you can actually create and the success you can create. 100%. Uh, so that, it, navigating that is, is a is a necessary part of the job, but it's not the job. And that's what I always have to remember, too.
0: So you also mentioned in your pre-interview that at one point in your career, you actually left a job that you hated and you didn't have a backup plan. So that's pretty risky.
2: Yeah. And it was a, a good job. I had gotten the opportunity to go be a network executive at CBS, which was amazing. And I knew it. I knew at the time, like, I remember when the when the opportunity came up to me, I went outside and called my sister. I'm like, this is a fork in the road. Like, something's going to happen here. Love it. And I took the job, and it was a pay cut, and it was a different path. But also, those years of freelance once again came in handy because I thought, if it doesn't work out, whatever, I'll just find another job, totally, right? yeah. So I I ended up going into that job never working in a corporate environment, never working at a network, really always being, you know, a producer on the ground on shows Uh and having to figure that all out. And um, the person who hired me, who was a mentor to me after four months left. And, you know, I practically was grabbing onto his legs as he was walking out the door, like, don't leave me here. I don't know enough. I haven't figured this out yet. And at the end of the day, I spent Three and a half years there, I call it kind of like boot camp mm-hmm. for being a network executive. But it was CBS, which is, I mean, that's the Tiffany network. and that It was an amazing opportunity. And I got to work on shows like Survivor, The Amazing Race, Big Brother. I got to see the world. I got to do amazing things. But at the end of the day, um, I just was not happy. And I wasn't prepared for the role. I hadn't, you know, I, I kind of got to the top quickly, but not with the experience to know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Like if I could go back now, I would kill it. But right.
0: then I was, I was trying to figure it all out. But without... somebody, somebody obviously believed in you that they put you in that role.
2: They did. I mean, it was, it was good in that respect, but it was, it's a, it was a tough environment to be in. You put all that together. At the end of the day, I would just want to go be with my people. I wanted to go work in production. I right. wanted to go sit in the edit
0: bays. I wanted to go where the world made sense to me. And um, So as great as the job seemed, it didn't kind of fulfill your soul, what no, you wanted to do. No,
2: I just, every, I would sit in meetings and I could see my car out the window and every ounce of me was telling me to walk out and get in my car and go. Oh, wow. I was like, all right, I have to leave. But you
0: were there for three and a half years. Three and
2: a half years. Which and is- it wasn't until like the last year right. that I really started right. to feel that way. And... I never wanted to leave in a bad way. I never wanted to burn a bridge. You know, I went to my boss and said, "I'm. it's time, I need to go,
0: and I will help you find somebody, I will help you train somebody, but I need to go. So two lessons that I just kind of learned from you. Number one, this ability to understand how sometimes taking a pay cut can mean taking a step forward. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And then the other thing that you just said, that I think is really great is, you know, how important it is not to burn bridges when you leave a company. I mean, one thing that I have learned is, wow, I mean, you know, in my 23 years of um, being in business – how many times I cross paths with people from the past and how their positions change and where they go and how all of a sudden now the blue people will recommend you. And so it's just really important no matter what in your career path to stay positive. So I love that you brought up both of those points. I totally think that. And I also feel like, and in, in, get back to the
2: freelancing, when you're moving from job to job to job, somebody who was your peer – could become your boss, somebody that worked for you could become your boss, and vice versa. I've hired people that were my boss.
0: Amazing. Uh,
2: And it's because I loved working for them, and I knew they would be amazing. And you never,
0: ever know. All right, so um, we're going to go a little bit into the shift. So throughout your career, you've seemed to jump back and forth between production and the network side of the television industry. So tell us some of the things you like and dislike about both and kind of why you feel like you kind of bounce back and forth.
2: Well, production is where it all happens. Mm-hmm. So it's more exciting. It's really exciting. It's fun. You're out in the field or you're in an edit bay. You're actually making the shows. right? And what I really loved was being in the edit bay because that was that's where I found what I thought I was good at, which in nonfiction television, it was taking – hours and hours of something and making it into a coherent story in you know a half hour show or an hour show or whatever it may be Uh and it was so fulfilling to be able to do that and I actually loved it that's probably my favorite part of it now being on the network side of it was understanding the big broad decisions of the business Uh and being a part of that
0: so you have to use your brain in a totally different way
2: yeah it's it's business strategy. It's understanding the issues that are, a network is dealing with. So when you're a producer and you're getting notes from a network person, you, you feel, A, feel like, what do they know? <laughs> or why is this note? Or why are they so crazy? And then I came, went to the network side of things like, oh, I get why they're crazy. Because right. there's all these other issues going on, whether it be working with ad sales, working with digital, working with all sorts of different people. There's so many reasons decisions get made. And I love
0: being a part of that decision making. So you ultimately ended up obviously on the network side. So what is one of the most stressful parts of your job? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? My job is
2: to keep the Discovery Channel strong and relevant and successful.
0: That's kind of a big
2: deal. It is. And that's what keeps me up at night. Now, discovery, if you had told me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this would be my job, I would say, no, you're kidding.
0: Why? Just because it seemed too big? It's big. big.
2: It's a big job. It's a huge job. And it's a big network, and it's a meaningful network. I mean, the fact that my boss believed in me to do this job, I want to do the job well. I want to live up to that. And it's a really kind of scary time in the cable business right now, in the media business. Everything's changing. Right. So So you have to be really thoughtful with your decisions. Yeah, it was an not that it was an easy job, but it was definitely an easier job twenty years ago to do this. Yeah. And now it's a whole different landscape. So
0: trying to figure out how we're navigating for the future. Yeah, it's a huge responsibility. So, wow. Mm
1: -hmm. Just
0: wow. Okay, So um, pretty soon after, you were asked to run the production and development at TLC. So then you eventually became the president of TLC. And you dealt with a lot of changes there. And ultimately, you brought the network a ton of success. Can you talk a little bit about that time?
2: The first thing I'll say is when I left CBS, I wanted to go back into the production world. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting an opportunity to come to Discovery to open up their production studio in LA. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a really good opportunity to bridge both worlds. I understood the network corporate side. I understood the production side. And it ended up being a great place for me. Plus, they hired me. I was seven months pregnant when they hired me. Wow. And I I honestly couldn't believe it. I remember going to the interview. I think it was five months pregnant. I'm like, you see this, right? Like, this is happening. And um, my boss at the time, Clark Bunting, was like, I've got no issue with that. You I know? love Clark Bunting. I do, too. <laughs> He's like, women have babies all the time, but when you hire the good, right person, you find the right person. My first week on the job, the first day at orientation, they pulled me aside to talk about my maternity leave. I mean, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. That I just couldn't like even it. believe it. Yeah. So I felt like I landed at this company that I really liked. And I was working in this production unit. It was a really good experience. When I had my first son, I was freelance. So it was uh, all on my own. And I had to go and apply to for, for state unemployment and all that kind of stuff. So to be somewhere where they actually took care of you was a revelation to me as well. It was different, I felt the different culture. Also working at a company where the core of their business is nonfiction reality television. It wasn't a side hustle for the company, like being a part of that was what made me make that jump. And I went all in. So that was um, when I first went to TLC and then cut to a few shifts and back and forth, but eventually being the president of TLC. But yeah, I think a lot of women uh, now will come to me at work and say, "How do you do it? How did you have your kids, and how have you been able to have these big jobs? And what did you plan? How did you?" And it's like I did not plan any of it. You just have to do it, and then face what's in front of you, and
0: you you make it happen. Right. How old are your kids now?
2: Sixteen and twelve. Wow,
0: similar to mine. Yeah. So let's talk about your time at. TLC, you said that it was a very challenging time. Tell us about that. I think I was at TLC for as president and GM for a
2: total of about four and a half years. But the first three years were super challenging. Uh, it was hard, and but, it, but I think it's one of those things where it just makes you stronger right. moving forward. And then with that same team, we uh, were able to get other hits moving. We were able to get other shows going. So you turned it around. And then... We really turned it around. And to be able to do that with the, with the team where you were at your lowest low together, and now, I mean, TLC is killing it. They right. are, uh, like, number one for women across all sorts of demos. 90 Day Fiance is an out-of-the-box hit. Dr. Pimple Popper. All these things that we launched when we were there and I absolutely love have um, really turned it around. And I think there is nothing more fulfilling than doing that
0: with the team, and feeling that success together. So obviously, the success that you had there probably led you to the next chapter of your life, yes. um, which is where you moved to Discovery and became the EVP of Production and Development. Actually, I, I was at TLC Production
2: and Development, then I was Discovery Production and Development, then they gave me TLC President, and then I went back to Discovery as running Discovery and Science and now Animal Planet as like the head of all those networks got it okay. i've kind of i've been able to jump back and forth within the company across these major brands so female fun programming kind of more important you know natural history programming or kind of the super visceral male programming of gold rush or Deadliest catch i've,
0: I've been able to have my hand in all of those which has been exciting and fulfilling right so obviously, it was a huge shift to go from running TLC to get being given a broader portfolio. And it was starting to have all the success. So they obviously specifically plucked you out to start doing great things in a bigger capacity. Tell us about that shift and that change and that shift of responsibility to leave when something is, you know, so successful. It's definitely bittersweet to have such success
2: with TLC. I love that brand so much. I still do. And to be said, you've done such a great job. We're going to take that away from you <laughs> and give you something bigger and better. And and um, it's the flagship brand for the network. It's the name on the building. It's really important, which I get. But it was it was a hard day for me to do that.
0: But were you excited at the same time? Well, I and mean, the fact that people obviously believe in you so much to get acknowledged for that, yes. Absolutely. All right. So now you are currently the chief brand officer at at Discovery. And um, a lot of people who I talked to at my office were like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the chief brand officer? Can you describe it? My husband was just asking me that the other day. It's like you need a different title. I'm like, oh, we negotiated that title. We're leaving it as this. I love the title. I just it means something different in different industries. It does. So I, 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 that's why I want people who are listening that might be interested in your field to understand it.
2: So when we when we brought in scripts, they split kind of the I said male and female split of networks in a way. But really, there's what they call those are lifestyle-type channels, which are the more female-focused channels, and then the more factual-type channels, which are the more male. It's kind of an antiquated term uh, that came probably out of the UK production community a long time ago. However, it was a promotion from being a president and GM and being in charge of an overall portfolio. And so to give us parity, me and Kathleen Finch, who's the head of all the lifestyle, so she was the chief lifestyle brand officer, I'm the chief factual brand
0: officer, is how we looked at it. Understood. So TLC is obviously a very female-focused brand, and then um, all of a sudden you were given all these more male-focused brands. Um, do you ever feel like there was anyone in the industry that ever felt like, how could a woman run all of these male-focused brands? Has that ever been an issue or something that you've um, had to overcome? I've never felt that. I'll be honest with you. I feel I've had
2: a lot of opportunity at Discovery. Up until working directly for David Zaslov, I had female bosses and mentors who were running all of these brands. And to me, it's story. Yeah. Who can tell great stories, who can work with the best producers to bring in those stories Uh that's
0: the skill involved with it. Totally. I think I'm so happy to hear that first of all you know it's interesting in in my industry also you know I um, work in advertising so when the brands come in sometimes they'll ask me to do a marketing um, program for you know 18 year old gamers. I'm, I'm not an 18 year old gamer but I've got to as a professional figure out how to resonate with them. Um, So, you know, you obviously have to separate like what your personal values are and what you care about with doing your job. And so I think there's a lot of kind of misconceptions that if you're not the person who is the audience that you can't do the job, especially for women. So love to hear that. So obviously scripted programming is getting a lot of attention these days and kind of taking over the headlines. So how are you working to keep unscripted television, you know, still very relevant and engaging for audiences? I think there's always room
2: for unscripted television, unscripted entertainment. It's been around for a long time and gone through many different iterations. So there's always room for it. And I know just as a consumer, there is so much content out there and really good content. And most of it's scripted. Mm-hmm. Now, Discovery had a moment, and I'm talking Discovery as kind of a company of trying to do some get into the scripted world a bit. With some success, they were good shows, but it's a it's a different world. It is. And at the end of the day, we all looked at each other and said, let's actually focus on what we do best, mm-hmm. which is
0: nonfiction
2: and reality programming, and do it really well.
0: Are there a lot of conversations about I mean I'm sure there are, but are there a lot of conversations about, you know, companies like Netflix, you know, stealing your your customers mm-hmm. and your viewers? And how do you guys deal with that? Well, we look at the whole kind of environment of options
2: whether it be our competitors on linear cable or broadcast or streaming as just more competition. It's funny so far I don't feel like we've lost a show that went to Netflix that we wanted. Right. They're playing a bit of a different game than us. In fact last night I went out for drinks with the person who runs all of the nonfiction st- programming at Netflix and it was quite cathartic because we all are dealing with some of the same issues and trying to find the best shows and trying to find the hits and all of that kind of stuff. But we're going about it in different ways. What I think, though, is just how people are consuming content. And Discovery has some amazing content. We just have to make sure we're serving it up to people the way they want to watch it now, which is when they want, how they want, with ads or without ads. Right. You know, So there's
0: there's a lot of talk and change happening in that that capacity.
2: And that's super exciting to me. It is. To figure that out. Mm -hmm. How are we figuring out the future? Because when I look at discovery, one of the other things that keeps me up at night about discovery is for people of a certain age, it's super meaningful. But there's a whole generation that don't get cable, maybe never got cable. They don't even know what discovery is because we weren't figuring out how to serve them in their worlds. And that's been a huge priority for me, is figuring out even just like what is our digital strategy? What is our YouTube strategy? How are we, if we are making ourselves relevant to college age, high school age kids on the way that they are consuming content, it's just insurance for the future. So there's a lot of effort being
0: put towards that. Yes, yes. Interesting. I was that was actually going to be my next question because just, just because I'm always so shocked. Even you know, at my office, so many of my um, employees are millennials or younger, and none of them have cable, and you know, they just don't. So you know, it must be a very scary time for um, you know for network television. So understood and happy to hear that you guys are you know addressing it. And as you mentioned, this is an industry that is rapidly changing faster than it ever has to your point earlier you said in 20 years it's never been you know 20 years ago the job was way way easier so not only do you have to figure out you know how to make great programming and um, work that resonates but you got to get figure out how to get people to come and see it which is almost like double the challenge
2: breaking through the clutter think about when you sit down how many options you have i don't i don't know about you but mike my- Kids don't even turn on the TV,
0: really. They watch everything on their phone. Everything. And I feel like now the way I want to punish them is like, turn off that phone and go watch TV. <laughs> do you remember when we were kids, like we had to turn off the TV, but now it's like a whole different ballgame. My 16-year-old is obsessed with his
2: video games. Yeah. And I keep thinking, you need to turn, like, what are you going to do with your life? And then I remember, well, I've watched hours and hours of TV and it worked out for me. So maybe you will end up developing the next big video game. There you I go. don't know. That's
0: a good way to look at it. <laughs> So I understand that part of what you've been successful with also is um, kind of reinventing the documentary. And you've kind of put a new spin on them. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, I
2: think what you're referring to is we actually at Discovery did a series this year, big nature documentary series, which frankly, over the years, Discovery has been known for. Right. We really wanted to bring it back in a, in a way that felt like you were evolving the genre. And we ended up working with Simon Fuller, who is a very unlikely person to do a nature documentary. I mean, he's known for doing American Idol or managing
0: the Spice Girls. Or Which is why it became interesting. Yeah.
2: And they ended up creating a, a series called Serengeti. We aired it over the summer that really felt like it evolved the natural history genre. If you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, you'll, you might get results, but they will be diminishing results each time. You have to surprise the audience.
0: Love that. All right, so we're going to move on to the success part of your journey. And I know that success is you know, never an ending point. It's kind of part of the process. And I, I, most women who I interview say that they're not there yet. They have so much more to do, which I have a feeling you're going to say the same thing. Tell us really quickly, what does success ultimately mean to you? I think success to me means the
2: freedom to make the decisions I want to make, to do what I want to do in my life and not have to worry so much. I love and that. I, def- I just got chills when you said that. I definitely don't feel like I'm there yet for that, for sure. To me, when I'm thinking about my day-to-day of success, you know, I want to keep proving we can do it. You know, what we did at TLC, I want to prove it again where I am now. I want to keep doing
0: that. I don't ever want to look back and think, well, that was a fluke. Right. You also talk about having a very specific goal setting system. Can you um, tell our listeners about that? I like to write down goals. Even in high school, I had written down
2: things like get my varsity letter or save $200 in my checking account or whatever it might be. I was like, God, I was doing it back then. I'm a real believer in writing stuff down and it happens. In fact, um, we actually would do that at TLC. We would all get together and write down what we wanted to happen at TLC. And I know it sounds kind of woo-woo, but I swear it works. And it never really is exactly as you wrote it down. Right. But there's some, some iteration of it. There's something in there. And there's something about planting something in your mind. You are subconsciously working towards that, whether you really realize it
0: or not. Love it. I might try that. I've yeah. never done that before. Do you ever experience self-doubt despite all of your success? I keep reading about this new thing called imposter syndrome for high-up executives. Do you ever like wake up and say, wow, I can't believe I'm running all this, and so many people's jobs depend on me, and so much of the success of this brand depends on me, and what am I doing here? Does that ever happen to you? Yes. Every day I feel like somebody's going to come knock on my office door and say,
2: what? why are you in here? you don't belong here. <laughs> you need to get get out of here. I can't believe, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I deserve this, but I want to live up to it.
0: Okay. Have you ever experienced any sexism or setbacks based on gender in the workplace in your career?
2: I feel like I've been very lucky. I mean, when I have been hearing all of the stories from the Me Too movement and Time's Up, and Mm -hmm. I feel I've been very lucky along the way to not experience that. I mean, I, I think there's just certain things along the way that, Maybe we didn't think about Like, you just moderate your behavior in certain totally. ways. Just or, what was
0: acceptable 20 years ago is just not anymore. And exactly. And the fact that it was normal to us just because we didn't know any different or didn't think about it differently.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are certain people you knew to avoid. Totally. Especially when you're on the road or on productions. Like, there was always – but it never felt like there's anything you could do about it. You right. just kind of dealt with you it. You kind of dealt with it. And
0: um, – I feel the same way.
2: Yeah. But I feel like – since I've been at this company, I feel like
0: I've had the ability to fly. Okay. You've mentioned that you're very passionate about mentoring people. So how should young professionals in your mind go about finding a mentor? I think it has to happen naturally. You have to find
2: the people around you that you can look up to, and there can be some sort of natural mentorship happen. You can't force it, really, and because that, that's how it's happened for me. I've found people along
0: the way. And it actually walk over to somebody and say, will you be my mentor? No, I've never done that. So it's not a thing. People ask me that often. If it's like a formal question, like you're asking somebody on a date, you just kind of assume that person is and just kind of follow them and listen to them. Is is that right? Well, I've just found people along
2: the way that I've looked up to or have I've admired or I feel like I can learn from them. Right. And you take those moments when they come. And I feel like from different people I've worked for, I've learned different things, which has been really helpful. There's different ways to be a leader and be successful. I remember even my first job, my um, one of my first mentors saying to me, you will learn something from every job. You'll learn probably more from a bad boss than you will a good Absolutely. boss. I believe that. And you'll learn who you want to be moving
0: forward. And that's what I've tried to do. Bad jobs are important in your journey. Really important. They're painful. You figure out what not to do, who not to be, right? So I feel like everyone listening, if if you're in a job that sucks right now, it's okay. Learn from it and figure out what's next for you, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Absolutely. Is there any one kind of female role model that has made such an impact in your life? Eileen O'Neill, who was the head of TLC and really saw something in me and
2: pulled me along with her at Discovery and TLC was always a mentor to me.
0: And she'll always be important to me. love that. Okay. So we are going to now move on to our rapid fire questions, um, which Sarah is going to help us out with. All right, Sarah, are you ready?
1: Okay. What is your leadership style? My leadership style would be, I would hope to say inclusive. Awesome. Um, What have been some of your favorite shows to watch on TLC and Discovery? I
2: love 90 Day Fiance. On Discovery, I love Deadliest Catch. We're in like season 15 and it is still such a good show.
1: Um, Other than your channels, what are you watching these days?
2: I just finished The Crown, which I loved. I'm in the middle of the second season of Mrs. Maisel. I love that show.
1: (laughs) Do you have any personal motto or mantra? I don't know, maybe
2: uh, be smart and work hard. That's
1: fair. Um, What's the best advice you've ever received?
2: Be smart and work hard.
1: Perfect. If you could have any other career, what would it be?
2: I think my dream would be if I could be a writer, like a novelist, I think that would be, that was originally when I was a young kid, what I thought I wanted to
1: do. My last question, do you have any actionable advice for those listening?
2: One thing I say a lot when especially when I'm talking to young people who are just starting a job, is make yourself indispensable. Wherever you are, whatever job you've been given, if you can't go in that day, make sure they know you're not there. Like that you should be indispensable and find where people need help, find what needs to be done. I got that advice early on, and I felt like that's what always got me the next job was that they knew we I could would... rely on you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, Sarah and Nancy, thank you both for being here today. Nancy, it's so inspirational. Your career is incredible. I know so many people listening today will be inspired. And thank you for taking the time to do this because I know how busy you are. And I think that this is a wrap. Thank you. Well,
2: it's an honor to be asked. Thank you. And thank you, Sarah.